0: Good morning. We continue this week in the book of Acts. Um, Last week, we looked at Simon the Magician as we talked about false faith, as he displayed a faith that was unable to save him and little understanding of, of what salvation was and who God was and who even he himself was. This week, though, we're going to see the other side of that coin. This week, we're going to be looking at um, true faith, saving faith. This week, we're going to see a new convert. There's no greater joy for us than the thought of true conversion, a new convert. What's as sad as it is to see false conversion or false faith, and how depressing it can be to see someone display a faith that is misguided or the result of bad teaching or poor theology. But when we see true faith on display, we see maturity, we see joy, we see faith, true faith, and we see radical change in the life of the one called to Christ. That's Great joy. There's celebration in heaven. There should be celebration here. We after, or often hear about mass conversions, mass salvations. And I question many of those revival-like, emotionally-led conversions that are far too often producing false faith. God's kingdom grows one soul at a time paraphrase a quote from Dr. MacArthur. God's kingdom grows one soul at a time. Today's scripture, we're going to see such a growth. We're going to see conversion. We're going to see saving faith. As we go through our passage today, though, there are three things I, I want us to, to see that that set out how this conversion happens or the method in which it happens. There's groundwork, presentation, and response. The groundwork is the fact that everything is being prepared even before the encounter. The presentation, as we will see with Philip, as he presents the gospel, and the response is the correct response to the presentation. All of these things are what makes up true saving faith. Turn with me, if you will, this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Starting with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south. Go toward the south to the road that goes down the Jerusalem to, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. The first thing I want us to look at here is the groundwork. We see the Holy Spirit is preparing this encounter. True salvation always begins with the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is tilling the ground, providentially preparing the soil. Salvation is God's work alone. It is none of man's. Salvation is always initiated by God. John 6:44. Jesus himself says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, man in his natural state is dead and completely alienated from God. Ephesians 2.1 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Because we are dead and we're ignorant, we are not looking for God. Romans 3.10-11 Paul writes, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. By the way, that means no one, not a single soul. We are hopeless, we're helpless, and in our natural state we hate God. Salvation must then be initiated by God. We would never initiate it on our own. Jesus explains this to Nicodemus in the book of John. John 3, starting with verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. Or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Salvation is always a sovereign work of God. God chooses, God calls, God activates the human heart. We offer nothing in this process. We are dead. Dead men can do nothing. A great story about the great Martin Lloyd Jones. One of his parishioners after service one day approached him and said, Dr. Jones, I've heard you for years talk about sin and the weight of sin and how sin weighs on the sinner and how it, it just pressures and, and, and weighs the sinner down in conviction. And I've got to tell you, I, I don't agree with that because I've been sitting here for years hearing that and I've never felt a thing. And Martin Lloyd-Jones had a great response as he looked at the man and said, if you took a 100-pound barbell and you placed it on the chest of a corpse, he wouldn't feel that either. See, in our natural state, apart from God, we are fully corrupted by sin. We are blinded. It's not that we don't have a free will. It's that our free will is corrupted like everything else. It will always choose sin. On its own, it will never choose God. We see this sovereign work on display in our passage. An angel says to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And we're looking in here at the sovereign work right here. And this is a true blessing because normally we do not get to see this. We do not get to see the groundwork. We don't get to see all of how God's sovereign hand has moved the pieces to present everything where it needs to be for a fallen sinner to be reconciled to him. But here we see how it works. Philip is being directed with straightforward direction. You'll also notice here, in verse 27, Philip is obedient. He rose and went. He truly believed God was sending him for a reason. Notice, he doesn't even know yet why. He doesn't need every detail. Oftentimes, what hinders our evangelism as we want details, we fear stepping out on faith. We try to dissect every little moment. Is God wanting me to speak to them or not? Yes. Is God directing me here or not? If only I have more details. See, Philip needed no details. He rose and he went. And we see there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of her treasury. He's coming to Jerusalem to worship. This is a divine encounter prepared by the Holy Spirit. Philip had no idea what this mission was. He only knew he had to go to the road and God would determine his purpose. It's evident by the setup, by the groundwork being laid, that God has already chosen this man, the eunuch. God has ordained him. His name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. The conversion of this man was part of God's plan from eternity past, as is everyone who has ever been and will ever be saved. This man's salvation, this single man's salvation, was the clear-cut purpose of Philip's trip. The salvation of even a single sinner is worthy of God's attention. Growing the kingdom... One soul at a time. How blessed we are that a mighty, big, and awesome God gives such attention to the most minuscule, small sinner. I had a conversation with a gentleman one day who's struggling in life. I said, Have you read your Bible? Have you been praying? Have you sought the scriptures for help? And he said, I I just feel kind of guilty about asking God or praying for this because I just feel like God isn't worried about these problems. Understand something. The salvation of every single sinner is worthy of God's attention. Anytime a a sinner is converted, we know God has chosen that sinner. God planned and designed everything to bring about that sinner's salvation. Salvation happens when the chosen hear the truth about Christ. Whoever truly calls on the name of the Lord and repents can be saved. How can they know to call on someone they've never heard of? How will they know to repent? How are they going to hear unless someone is sent to tell them? Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So saving faith begins with the proper groundwork being laid. The sovereign preparation by the Holy Spirit. And that preparation is all done to bring about God's will. God chose to do his work through human instruments. Of all the things that that can baffle us or amaze us about God, this is is, is what amazes me the most, is that God chose to bring about his will using humans as the instrument. He uses humans as the instrument to carry his message, to cast the seed on the soil. Peter in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, and then in chapter 4, Stephen in Acts 7. Everywhere the apostles are spreading the gospel in the early church, and it's still that way today. The work of the Spirit is directly connected to the submission of the servant. When we are the servants used as instruments, 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We want to be useful vessels. This is critical to God's plan of growing the kingdom. So God calls Philip, prepares Philip. Philip is obedient. He's told to go, and God places the eunuch to be where he needs to be. And he has prepared an obedient servant in Philip to be where he needs to be to reach him. This is it's amazing. I mean, we see God's hand all over this. This is the God that we worship. This is the awesomeness and the greatness of the sovereign God who we exalt and praise, who we were just singing songs to earlier. He cares so much that He does all this to bring about the salvation of a single sinner. Not only has God prepared his instrument in Philip and sent him, not only has God brought the eunuch where he needs to be, the Holy Spirit has been tilling the soil of the eunuch spirit, making him ready to hear the gospel, preparing him to be ready to receive the message Philip will deliver. Verse 28. He was returning, seated in his chariot, This is the eunuch, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. The eunuch had gotten a copy of the Old Testament writing of the prophet Isaiah. And he's reading this, and the Holy Spirit is preparing his heart, making him hunger to know what this is. You see, unless the Holy Spirit is transforming the eunuch's heart, the eunuch would have disregarded these writings, never been able to understand them. 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. At the time, at this time the Ethiopian, or the Ethiopia was the name of, of, of most of the land, the desert land in Africa south of Egypt. The Ethiopian kingdom was a massive kingdom. This man worked for for Candace, that's, that's not an actual name. That's a title, like, like Caesar. It means queen mother. He works for the queen mother. This man is a eunuch, meaning he was castrated. And this was common in the pagan cultures because if a male servant was going to be working with the king's harem, the male servant would be castrated so the king did not have to worry about him messing with one of his brides. God himself did not like castration. We see this in Deuteronomy 23.1. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. It was abusing and distorting the image of God. It was abusing and distorting God's creation. And it was associated with pagan practice. This eunuch, though, is coming to Jerusalem to worship. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is prompting his heart. God is drawing him. It is evident in everything we see here. He comes from a pagan culture with pagan religions. But God is drawing his heart. The Holy Spirit is tilling that soil. This eunuch now has questions his pagan religions cannot answer. He's got an Old Testament writing the holy spirit has has struck him with a desire for more. He's come to worship in Jerusalem. We see this today. Listen, someone not being drawn they can have questions, but the answers they find in the, they find in the world or on the internet and they or they concoct in their mind these answers. These answers that are good to them, and then they need nothing further. But the heart that God is drawing, the heart that is being cultivated by the Holy Spirit, the world's answers, or their own self-applied wisdom, or this internet intelligence, and these worldly scholars, these answers are never good enough. And they'll be drawn to the truth of God's word when they hear it. Listen, a telltale sign of true conversion, true salvation, is a hunger for the Word of God, an unquenchable thirst for more and more of God's Word. And that's what we're seeing right here. So the groundwork is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, the obedience of the servant as an instrument, and the hunger for more deep worship and understanding from the sinner. And now the presentation. Back to our text in Acts 8, verse 30 to 35. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you were reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, And whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this is about, himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip gets instruction to run over to the chariot. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asks. It's a simple question. He heard the eunuch reading. He knew he was reading Isaiah. He breaks the ice with, Do you understand that? Listen, daily we see people praying or we hear people using verbiage that is exclusive to Christianity, but we never ask them, Do you understand what you were saying? Do you understand what you are doing? Sadly, most do not. It's boldness. Evangelism is boldness. It's intentional boldness. Not of our own, but it is spirit-led boldness and a desire to see the kingdom of heaven grow. If you desire and if you or if your desire is not to see the kingdom of heaven grow, then you do not understand any of this. The first century church had boldness. And it had a desire to see the kingdom of heaven grow. How can I unless someone guides me, the eunuch says. I need help. I hunger for what is here, but I need help understanding it. He invites Philip into the the, the chariot for help. Notice he did not go to Philip. God sent Philip. Philip had to be bold and break the ice. Listen, God will place his instruments in the path of those he is calling. But those he is calling generally are not going to be bold. We as the instruments are sent to them. We must be intentional. We must be bold. Now, this is, this is absolutely amazing. I want to look at this. Look at what the eunuch is reading. Verse 32 and 33. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. And so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? There are 66 chapters in Isaiah, and the eunuch is reading chapter 53. By the way, Chapter 53 is the most important chapter in Isaiah because it is the gospel presentation. He's reading the gospel from Isaiah 53. The Holy Spirit's hand is all over this scenario. The passage we see here is from Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. The eunuch reads this, and look at his question, verse 34. Who is this about? The Holy Spirit just led the eunuch to put one up on the tee for Philip. Like he just set the ball up on the tee for Philip. Talk about an open door. Who is this about? This is like a home run waiting to be hit out of the park. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip responds, let me tell you who this is about. And he lays out the gospel. It's about Jesus. Let me tell you who he is and what he did. How he fulfilled the prophecy that you were reading. You see, this is, this is an evangelist's dream. This is a layup. The Holy Spirit directs Philip to go. Philip is obedient and goes. The eunuch was in the perfect place. Philip goes to him. And here's him reading Isaiah 53. Philip asks a simple question and the eunuch invites Philip to explain it. You remember last week, Simon the magician, he wanted to believe for all the wrong reasons. He wanted power. He wanted another trick in his bag of tricks. But the eunuch wants truth. This man hungers for truth. So, the first thing of our presentation, the key to effective evangelism, to effectively preaching the gospel or presenting the gospel, is we always, always, always direct them to the scripture. We put their focus, we put their attention on the word of God. People say, Nobody's interested in being bogged down with a bunch of of scriptures or a bunch of biblical facts. We need to get them with relationships or conversations. I mean, isn't it all about relationships? We hear this all the time. Listen, if they're not interested in the scriptures, they do not have a hunger for salvation. Those the Holy Spirit is drawing and cultivating, he is doing so by having them hunger for God's word. I need to understand, but I don't have anyone to guide me. I am so hungry for the truth. I just need somebody to help me get there. John 16, 13. We have someone. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us in truth. The eunuch displays humility, and he displays that he is teachable. I need someone to explain this. Listen, in our Christian walk, as we grow, and if we want to mature, and we want to get into ministry, there are, there are three things in our Christian walk that we must be. Number one, we must be teachable. Number two, we must be coachable. And number three, we must be accountable. And all of these are done with the scriptures. If someone's not interested in the scriptures, they are none of these things. They're not hungry for God, truth. And they're not hungry for true salvation. For the eunuch here, the Holy Spirit led him to Isaiah 53. The Holy Spirit prepared his heart for an explanation. Back to our text. verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip gives him that explanation. Here's an amazing thing I want to point out. Because this is often overlooked as, as I've heard this gone over. This is what is amazing here about having Isaiah 53. Remember, the New Testament did not exist at this time. There was no gospel of Matthew, there was no gospel of Mark, there was no gospel of Luke. there was no gospel of John. The gospel written in this prophet is written in this prophecy in Isaiah 53. This is like the first written example of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is calling this man by cultivating his heart with the only gospel-like writing there is. Listen, you need to know this. If you're if you're going to share the gospel or evangelize as, as you're called to do, the Holy Spirit directs the sinner being called to the Scripture. So you as the instrument being used by God in making your presentation, must also direct the sinner to the Scripture. And once you do that, you need to explain it. Why is it important for us to know the Scripture? Why is it important for us to have a good, true, solid understanding of the Scripture? This is the perfect example. How can you direct someone to something you cannot explain? How can you direct someone to something That you don't know yourself listen God calls them the Holy Spirit prepares them we are called to teach them to explain to them to share with them the truth so as believers given this mission from Christ to take the gospel into the world we do shoulder some of the burden Now the salvation is all God. No one has ever been saved by man's hand. No one has ever been saved by uh, man's incredible gospel presentation. They are saved by grace. They are solely saved by God's grace. But the obedience and call to to evangelize is on us because he chose human hands and humans to be his instrument to spread the gospel listen the reason the apostles were such great instruments in being used to grow God's kingdom is they knew the scriptures available at that time the Old Testament they hungered to know it they hungered to know it deeper they hungered to gleam the wisdom and the truth found in God's word and it was the authority that they held to it was the standard that they held to This is my desire and my passion. And this is why we get deep. This is why we push further into the Scriptures and further and further is that I teach you the Scriptures in a manner that you can take what you've been taught here and you can teach it to someone else. You're not the end of the line here. This doesn't end with you. You fill up and then you pour in to others. You're just next in this line. Someone is after you. You need to share this. No matter where their questions begin, direct them to the Scriptures. And then, when you direct them to the Scriptures, get them to Jesus. You take them to Jesus in the Scriptures. get them to the scriptures, and get them to Christ. We preach Jesus. Why? Because he's the Savior. And that's what the apostles preached. It's all about Jesus. Listen, every sermon preached in Acts, here's the pattern. Jesus, crucified, risen, salvation. And listen, here's a pointer if you want to take it. Something you remember when you're presenting the gospel to a fallen sinner it's not about you don't put too much of you in the presentation it, it may be great what the Lord's doing in your life doesn't matter in this setting the gospel is about Christ preach Christ preach Christ preach Christ Preach Christ, preach Christ crucified, preach Christ risen, preach Christ as Savior. So, in our presentation, direct them to the Scripture, get them to the Savior, and take them into why we needed the Savior to salvation. This is the presentation that we see over and over again from the apostles. This is the presentation we see as the church grows in the first century. That's it. That's the that's that's it's it's Christ crucified, risen, and salvation. Listen, I've had some amazing things happen in my life, but not a one of them could save a soul. Not one story of my life could save a single soul. Take them to the Scripture. Direct them to Christ. Get them to salvation. Oh, that might offend someone to be told that they're a sinner who needs to be saved. They might find that offensive to be told that they need saved or to be told about the sin in their life and why they need a Savior. Listen, if they're offended by the scripture, it isn't their time. So what if they're offended? We cannot manipulate people to salvation. We cannot attempt to sneak salvation in. We can't we we can't backdoor it. It's the direct main event. It's what the depraved, fallen sinner needs. And we take it straight At them dirt in this process we see the response back to our text today in Acts 8 starting with verse 36 and as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Look at that response. Look, it's water. I want to be baptized. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. You want to talk about God's sovereign, providential hand all over this? They're on a desert road. It's desert. And this meeting happens right near water, possibly the only water in the area. Look, it's water. I want to be baptized. Notice the intention here. Notice that it's instantaneous, this regeneration. Philip tells him about Christ. He takes him to the Scripture. He takes him to Christ. And he takes him to what salvation is. And the regeneration is instantaneous. It's not a process. It's not let me go home and think about it. It's not let me, oh, let me ponder this for a little while. It is instantaneous. He heard the word. He was fully drawn. And he desired to be in unison with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism is. Listen, I'm not trying to say that you have to be baptized to be saved. But baptism is important. And we see how important it is because God places this encounter right there near water. The eunuch, the eunuch says, look, it's water. What is preventing me from being baptized? You kind of get the feeling that nothing was going to hold him back from getting in that water. He would have ran over anybody standing there to get into that water. Indicators of true conversion, faith, look, water. Water. I desire baptism to be in unison with Christ. Obedience. The displaying of obedience as Christ has said to repent and be baptized. Nothing is preventing me from being baptized. He orders the chariot to stop. This was full immersion, by the way. They didn't sprinkle water over his head. The eunuch was... Into and came out of the watery grave. Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And then, and when they came up out of the water, they came up out of the water, meaning they were in the water. It is full immersion. Philip baptizes the eunuch. He did what God sent him to do. And then God snatched Philip away. Look at verse 39. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Look at that verse. The eunuch went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. There's a call for celebration. The kingdom grew by one that day. So the true indicators of true salvation, are faith, Obedience, joy, how joyous it was when this sinner was placed where he needed to be for his heart, his fallen, depraved heart that had been apart from God is now reconciled. And what about Philip? Verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He finds himself in a, this town, and the miracle is, is God snatched him from the desert road with the eunuch and places him in this town. And as he passed through, what did he do? He preached the gospel to all the towns. He continued preaching and evangelizing. Listen, the miracle of taking Philip away, that was confirmation. That was a confirmation sign for the eunuch at the time of his conversion. And God placed Philip right where he needed him to be, preaching in these towns. What about the eunuch? Well, the early church father, Arrhenius, had written that the eunuch became a missionary. Hmm. Possibly. And there are parts of Africa where Christian groups historically have claimed that the eunuch is the founder of their church. Listen, what you've just had laid out for you are the components of saving faith they are the greatest miracle that happens that that we are brought a fallen dead soul a fallen dead person is brought to life by the holy spirit it's breathed into him and his heart is called to god it's joyous for us as christians we we have to understand That we're called to be the instruments in which God uses to bring about His will in spreading the gospel. We must understand that the Holy Spirit lays the groundwork. That His hand is guiding what God willed to happen before time even began. We're called to shoulder the presentation. We must be obedient. We must be bold. We must be prepared. And we need to understand the response, the response of a true believer will result in faith, obedience, and joy. How blessed are we to be a part of this process, to be called to these works, to be able to see the faith that truly saves manifest in a once dead body. This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is grace and mercy from God. And we get to be the instruments that he uses for this. I can think of nothing more honorable than to be used as an instrument to bring about God's glory. It's why we're called to preach the word and to take the gospel into all the world to spread the seed and like the, the parable of, of the the one who sows the seeds we spread seeds on all types of ground but God lays the groundwork through the Holy Spirit in preparing, tilling the soil in which it will fall, those seeds to turn it to good soil that will produce saving faith. We just produce the presentation and we prepare for the response. And it grows the kingdom of God. Praise God. Let's pray.